0: Daniel chapter 1. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. We're going through this book of Daniel. You've joined us who are visiting on our fifth study, and we come to verses 17 to 21 of Daniel chapter 1. And I'd ask that you follow along as I read the scriptures today, beginning at Daniel 1 verse 17. Here's what we read. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one, was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, He found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and to the study of it to follow a little bit later on this morning. Before we look at this text, let's bow and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word, for those here to partake of it. We pray you bless our time together. May your word minister to our minds and hearts in a very personal and practical way, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a story of some young people who were in college that was being taught by a godless professor who was known for mocking God, and in one of his lectures, he said, will all of you who believe the myths of the Bible please stand up? And several students who knew the Lord Jesus Christ and believed the Bible stood to their feet Then the professor proceeded to say, Now this semester I'm going to free you from this religious Bible nonsense. I've read the Bible. It is certainly written by a bunch of mixed up men. One of the students, a Daniel type, said to the professor, Sir, the Bible is God's letter to his people. And if you're confused by it, it's because you're reading somebody else's mail. Modern universities have moved far away from the scriptures, just as the Babylonian educational system had done back in Daniel's day. In fact, Walter Moberly, a British scholar in his book, The Crisis in the University*, said this about today's universities. If you want a bomb, the chemist department will teach you how to make it. If you want a cathedral, the department of architecture will teach you how to build it. If you want a healthy body, the department of physiology and medicine will teach you how to tend it. But when you ask why should you want bombs or why should you want cathedrals or why should you want healthy bodies, the university is dumb and silent. It can help and give guidance in all things subsidiary, but it cannot give one bit of useful material in the attainment of one thing useful, one's relationship with God. Dr. Warren Wiersbe said, if you want to make a living, you get training. If you want to make a life, get an education. But if you want to have a life that counts for God. You need divine help. The thing that made Daniel so powerful was not his secular education that he received in Babylon. It was his Bible education that he got in Jerusalem. It was Daniel's early training in scripture and his application of scripture that made him a very powerful man of God. It's that which enabled God to bless Daniel's life and mind. In the opening of the book of Daniel, it is very clear that God, literally in Hebrew, the God, the Elohim, was caring for Daniel and his three friends. It becomes obvious when you open up this narrative that God was watching over them physically, spiritually, and as you'll see in a moment, mentally. Daniel's decision to do what was right to obey God paid rich dividends. These last five verses of chapter 1 give us the result of a choice that he made as a young man, that I'm going to do the will of God no matter what anybody else does. So as a result of that, no matter where you put Daniel, God's hand of blessing was on him. In fact, the whole point of chapter 1 is to establish that, that God was caring for these four young men in a culture that was dominated by heathens. God's hand of blessing was on Daniel and these three friends, even though he was in a world that had God out of the picture, out of the equation. It's a thrilling thing to see today, because this is an important principle for all of us to get. And the principle is this, even when heathens are controlling your world, it is still possible for you to have God's favor and God's blessings in your life if you purpose to remain faithful to him. This to me is a very encouraging passage of Scripture in the day and age in which we live. Because this passage teaches us that we do not have to live in a godly environment in order to have a wonderful relationship with God and wonderful blessings of God. We do not have to work in a godly company to have God's blessings and favor on you. You do not have to be in a Christian college. Have God use you in a great way in your education. You can work for a secular company, you can go to a secular school, you can live in a secular world and be powerfully blessed of God. That is certainly proved by these verses right here. And we live in a culture that is much like that of the Babylonians, it's a culture dominated by heathens from TV programs to education to entertainment, dominated by those who could care less if they say or do anything that pleases God. But in that kind of culture, you can be greatly used and blessed by God if you stay faithful to Him, and that certainly shows up in Daniel chapter 1. Now there are three key realities that I want to show you from this text today. Reality number one, the God of the Bible blessed the four young men. Notice verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now by the time we get to verse 17, Daniel and his three friends now are about 20 years old. They've been in Babylon and they've been studying the Babylonian literature and language for over three years. During the time that Daniel and his three friends had been in this study, they excelled in everything they studied. We could say it this way. That verse tells us they were the top students. No matter what you gave Daniel and his three friends to study, they got it. And the reason why they got it was because of God. In other words, God was the one who was giving them their abilities, their mental prowess. God was the one who was giving them their advancement. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't lose sight of this reality. Daniel is in a foreign culture, a heathen culture. He's studying heathen kinds of things. But God gave him success even in that world, which means that God let his mind understand things at a very deep level. The language of the Hebrew here implies that God gave them an ability to see and understand deep, deep things, understand truth from error, understand things that were hard to study. It's true. They did have to study hard, but God let them get it. And I want you to notice how the verse begins. As for these four yous, God gave them. Do you see that? God gave them. The credit for the advancement, the credit for their mental abilities is given to the Lord. Most people don't get this point. Most people, when they attain something, they want to take the credit for it. And don't stop to realize God let them attain that. God let them achieve that. God's silent hand of sovereignty was involved in their promotion. Most people don't see the hand of God, and certainly, most people don't give the glory to God. But Daniel and his three friends did. Now, there's big controversy that exists today, and also back in Daniel's day, The controversy is, should believers go to secular schools and study worldly things? Some believe that studying worldly things is a waste of time. This controversy is not new. For example, Tertullian, who lived in the 3rd century AD, said Athens has nothing to do with Jerusalem, the academy has nothing to do with the church. But you can't deny that God powerfully used those who loved him and studied things in a secular world. For example, Moses was educated in Egyptian studies. We know that the Apostle Paul was trained. He quoted from the Greek poet Menander and Epimenides. What this tells us is they were certainly knowledgeable of secular literature. Now, we would be quick to agree that the most valuable knowledge of all is knowledge of the Bible because that is the inspired word of God. But this does not mean that you have to isolate yourself and you cannot study other subjects or work in a secular job. You see, the point of this is they kept God first in their lives. And as long as a person keeps God first in life, no matter where you are, God will honor that. That is the story of Daniel. Now, before we move on, let me just say this. You must be very careful when you study secular things, especially when it gets into the arena of religion. Constantine the Great was the first Roman emperor who became a Christian in AD 313 and supposedly dictated to the Roman Empire that the whole Roman Empire should become a Christian empire. It was Constantine who made it fashionable to be called a Christian. He died in AD 337. Eventually, Constantine was replaced by his nephew, whose name was Claudius Julian. He succeeded him as a youth. And as a young man, he was given the finest Christian education. His personal teacher was Eusebius, the great father of church history, a man who loved the Lord and who loved Christian truth, who loved the word of God. If you read Eusebius's church history, which is still available in print today, it's a fascinating read of a man who loved the Lord. That was Julian's personal teacher. And Julian was doing very well in Christianity until he decided to study Greek philosophy and ideas. And at that point, there's a major turning point in his life and mind. He actually turned against Christianity. And he spent many years trying to discredit it. Although he himself did not persecute the church, many believe he was responsible for persecution that broke out against the church because he tried to isolate Christians. You must be careful in studying secular things. In Julian, God was never first in his life. In Daniel, God was always first in his life. No matter where you're at, if God is first in your life, God can greatly use you. That's proved right here. Now, according to the last part of verse 17, Daniel received one extra thing that the others didn't receive. He received the ability to understand all kinds of visions and dreams. In other words, he was given the ability by God to understand something in another whole arena. That is, visions and dreams. This, of course, would refer to prophetic revelations that would come from God. All prophetic revelations and visions from God can be interpreted by Daniel because God gave him the ability to do it. It was a supernatural ability that enabled Daniel to determine the outcome of dreams and future. Daniel could distinguish whether or not a dream had any relevancy to it. Prophetically, he could distinguish dreams that were just because people ate the wrong things before they went to bed. And those revelatory dreams that actually came from God, this was a supernatural grant from God. Now, this past week, we just had a verdict handed down in the Michael Jackson trial. And on court television, there were many attorneys, both prosecutors and defense attorneys, that were trying to forecast and predict what they thought the outcome would be on all 10 different charges that were raised against him. Not one of them got it right. Not one of them could guess it right. It was just guesswork. That's all it was for television. People postulating what they thought, and it was nothing more than that. Daniel could actually, with certainty, look and declare something that actually was going to happen, as you'll see later in this book. The reason he could do that is because God gave him this very unique ability. This becomes very important to the book of Daniel, because God is going to communicate future things to Nebuchadnezzar through a variety of odd dreams, that God will allow only Daniel to unravel. This ability could not be mastered in a course of study. You could not take a college class on how to interpret dreams and then figure all of this out. You could not learn this technique academically. This was a supernatural enablement of God to unravel the deep mysteries of God, and God himself needed to reveal this. Let me just say this to you today. You may be brilliant in your field and know nothing of the Bible, you may have an academic mind that is as sharp as a tack when it comes to studying something scholastically and not know beans about a relationship with God. Because, here's the formula. In order for God to open up the mind and heart of one and enable them to grasp the deep things of God, they must walk in a right relationship with him. And this is not just Old Testament teaching. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5, challenges believers to go on to meet levels of understanding of scripture. And then he says in chapter 6 verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says, I believe it's a permission of God whether or not he allows one to understand the deep things of the Lord. So just because someone has a brilliant mind in a profession doesn't mean they have a right relationship with God at all. Now there are four applications I want to make concerning this verse before we move on. Number one, God is the one who should be praised for all of life's accomplishments which he permits his people to have. People who are right with God give God the credit for the things he does. They give God the credit for the mind he gave them. They give God the credit for where they live, for the homes they have. They give God the credit for the occupation that they have, for the things they own. People right with God praise God for all of life's accomplishments. That's what Daniel did. Secondly, when God is giving knowledge and intelligence to a person, he, she will discern truth from error no matter what subject is being discussed. Now, you see, we oftentimes look to God for our physical needs. We'll go to God in prayer and ask him for something physically. How about our intellectual development? How about going to God and asking God to give us wisdom, to open up our minds so that we can understand the deep things of God? That's just as important as the other areas. Thirdly, God only blesses a few people at this level. And he only blesses those who have demonstrated that they love him and will stand for him. Not everyone's going to blossom in a marvelous understanding of the things of God. It comes through faithfulness. That's how Daniel and his three friends got to this level. It was their faithfulness in obeying the Lord. And God said, all right, I can bless you here, I can bless you here, and I'll bless you further on down the road. And finally, it is possible to shine bright for God in a heathen world and heathen classroom. Look, I'm convinced there's no reason why you can't be the best at what you do. That doesn't mean somebody else might not be better, but you can be the best at what you do. Whether you're in a classroom, you can become the finest student you can become. If you're a worker on the job, you can be the best employee that you can be for that company. You can shine bright for God if you keep God first. You can win the accolades. That's what does happen to Daniel. He is exalted because he put the Lord first in his life. So you keep him first in your life and your world and see if God will not do the same thing with you. Which brings us to the second reality. The king of Babylon recognizes the superiority of these four young men. Verse 18. At the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar, The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one, was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all of his realm. At the end of the three-year period of education, it became time for the commander, Ashpenaz, to take his students before King Nebuchadnezzar for interview and inspection. Nebuchadnezzar is going to examine these guys. He's going to look them over. He's going to give them an oral exam, conducted most likely in the Babylonian language. He's going to test them about their knowledge. He's going to look at their personal characteristics. He's going to see how they developed as young men. He's going to look at their personal appearance to determine who's going to end up in serving the king. And keep this in your mind, Daniel and his three friends end up on top here, and they're actually competing against Babylonian nationals. In other words, they had to learn the Babylonian language when they got there. They've only been studying this for three years. This whole examination would have been given in the Babylonian language. And Daniel and his three friends actually have a better grasp of the things of the Babylonian world than some of the national leaders who only knew the Babylonian language and culture. I know of a woman who moved here from another country who wanted to become a citizen of the United States. So they have to go through a test, an examination, and she went through the process of education in order to take that citizenship exam. I was with her husband one day, and I said to her husband, fire me some of the questions that your wife was asked to become a citizen of this country. So he fired a few of the questions at me, and there were a couple of them that I had to pause and think about before I answered And he said, you'd be amazed how many people who live in the United States can't answer the basic citizenship questions that are required of somebody who is becoming a citizen of the United States. Some of the new citizens have a better grasp of government than we do. That's what was happening here. Daniel and his three friends are foreigners. They master the Babylonian language and culture above the most educated nationals. Now, the reason why this is, of course, happening is because of God. God's hand is on them, where they're at, where they're living, what they're doing. God's hand of blessing was on them, and that's what enabled them to get it. Now, This test would have been very important for Ashpenaz because he's being held accountable for what has happened to these guys for three years. Remember, he's the one who's responsible to train them. There's a lot of time and a lot of expense involved in three years' worth of training, so I'm certain this was a very anxious moment for him. And keep in mind that he's parading several young men before the king who are all the brightest and the best. And when it would go well for Daniel and his three friends, it would go well for Ashpenaz too. You see, when God blesses someone that's connected to the organization, it goes well for all those others who are connected to the organization. I personally know of a case in which a man who is now out east, but at one time he was in Chicago, they got a prayer group going for their corporate company and God started blessing that company. And I'm convinced it was because there were four or five men who would meet every morning to pray that God would bless that company. These were fine Christian businessmen in a business world. And God blessed the company. As a result of him prospering the company, his boss got huge bonus checks. He benefited from their faithfulness. They're praying for prosperity, and he's benefiting because of what they're doing. That's exactly what would happen here as well with Ashpenaz. Now, verse 19 informs us that the king interviewed all the young men And he was so impressed with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah that he immediately appointed them to the king's service. Now I want us to just pause for a moment and just think about what's happened to get them appointed to the king's service. They're the ones who obeyed God rather than the king. When the king said, I'm going to give them my food and my wine to drink, they said no. So these are the guys who've gone against the norm, against the grain to obey God because he had sacrificed those things to idols. They didn't want to partake in food and drink that had been sacrificed to idols. And notice the king ends up appointing them. Young people, learn a powerful lesson here. The best way for you to go up the ladder in your world is obey God. I'm convinced of that. I've seen it too many times. It's the best way to your promotion. You take a stand for what's right. It may not initially look like you win. But you start standing for what's right. You start doing what's right. It's the best way to get a promotion down the road. You may think you'll really climb the ladder of success if you compromise. The truth is you'll go higher up the ladder if you don't compromise when it comes to the things of God. So when you're around the company, you're around the plant, you're in the school, don't you listen to the dirty jokes. You walk away from that. Take a stand. Don't do the unethical things that everybody else is doing. Don't slough off on the job even though others are sloughing off on the job. You stay faithful because God will honor you. It initially looked like Daniel and his three friends weren't going to win. But in the end, they're the ones honored. Everybody else is left behind. And don't overlook the fact that they're named here by their Jewish names, not the Babylonian names, remember. Nebuchadnezzar had changed their names, but when he's interviewing Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, verse 19, he's using their Jewish names. This tells us that they maintained a testimony of being a true Israelite. This was the key to God blessing them, even though there were many other Jewish young men who were there, who were in training, who had the same opportunities these four had. God's special hand was on these four for their faithfulness. Just because there are millions of Christians, millions of people who say they know Jesus Christ, does not mean that God's hand will automatically bless people equally. There's a sense in which every child of God is sanctified unto the Lord, but there's also a sense in which every child of God needs to develop. And the more one is faithful to develop, the more God's hand of blessing will be on that person in a whole variety of ways. Now, according to verse 20, Nebuchadnezzar discussed all kinds of things at this interview. Verse 20 says, And for every matter of wisdom and understanding about them which the king consulted them, it would indicate he was quizzing them. Nebuchadnezzar is no dumb leader. I'll tell you that right now. He was bright. He's asking them on a variety of subjects. This is an oral examination. He's testing them on their fluency in the Babylonian language. He's testing them on their knowledge of Babylonian culture and history. He's looking at their personal characteristics and mannerisms. There's no question Nebuchadnezzar was a very smart man, but I want you to remember this. He's a very smart man because he's God's servant that was being used to dominate Israel, even though he's not giving glory to God at this point in time. He has his power and intellect which are from God. And also, verse 20 makes it clear that he recognized these four were ten times better than the most skilled of his own country. That's what he said. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. That Hebrew word ten times is one that literally means these four were ten hands better. They were hands above the class hands above everybody else, including the other nationals. This was not due to their natural ability. This was due to their supernatural enablement. You see, the wisdom of God gave them this prestige. God's wisdom is always ten times better than the wisdom of the world. These four had the wisdom of God. This immediately began to create jealousy, between the Babylonian magicians and conjurers and these faithful Israelites. This starts a little problem that ultimately you'll see come to light a little bit down the road. This jealousy is going to escalate as this book unfolds. But the fact of the matter is God's hand was on these four and those people could not stop it. Now I don't necessarily believe that every believer will be ten times better than an unbeliever at what they do. If you're a farmer, I don't necessarily believe that every Christian farmer will be 10 times better than an unchristian farmer. I don't necessarily believe if you're a student in a university, you'll be 10 times better than other students in universities. Or if you are on a job, working at a job, you'll be 10 times better than everybody else on that job from a secular perspective. I do believe There are times when God does permit a faithful believer to excel above and beyond the norm. Certainly, he's ten times better in the eyes of God because he has a relationship with his son. But I do believe this. I believe that you will be your very best in this world when God's first in your life. If God is not first in your life, you don't know where you can go. You don't know what God can do with you. You're shortchanging yourself. If you will purpose to put the Lord first, I believe you will become the best that you can be. And that may be 10 times above where you're at today. If you say, I'm going to put the Lord first in my life, you may discover you're learning things at a whole new level. You're seeing things all differently. You're responding differently. You're going to new heights, new levels in your relationship with the Lord. You will always end up higher if you put God first in your life. If you stay faithful to him. You're destined to be used by God and make a great impact for him. Which brings us to the third reality. Daniel lives to be an old man. Now this is interesting how this chapter ends. Verse 21, and Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Now, the first verse of the chapter opens, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In chapter 1, verse 1, the year is 605 B.C., Daniel's 16 or 17 years old. In verse 21, the first year of Cyrus' reign, Daniel is now 66 years later, 539 B.C., he's 82 or 83 years old. So what is being said in verse 21 is, I want you to know, Daniel lived a long time. Now, some see a discrepancy which says the first year of Cyrus' reign in verse 21, which was 539 B.C., and chapter 10, verse 1, which says Daniel's still alive in the third year of Cyrus' reign, 537 B.C., but there's no discrepancy. It is, as Dr. John Wolverd said, much ado about nothing. The point that's being made here is that Daniel's life lasted not only throughout the entire Babylonian captivity, But Daniel's life and ministry went right on into the time of the Persians. It's not saying he died in the first year of Cyrus' reign. It's letting you know that he was alive when Cyrus took over. In other words, Daniel lived longer and ministered longer in a secular world that was totally dominated by heathens. Because of his faithfulness to God, he was blessed by God all the time of his captivity. He outlasted kings. He outlasted national powers because of the hand of God. I couldn't help but think of a couple of weeks ago when we celebrated with Mildred Hunt her 90th birthday. She's been in this same church, Texas Corners Bible Church, and she's been a little girl. Do you know how many people she's outlasted? She's outlasted people. She's outlasted a string of pastors who've come and gone. She's had staying power. That's the point that is being presented here, like Daniel. Daniel had staying power because the hand of God was on him. Now, verse 21, contextually, is eye-opening because it tells us that God blessed Daniel for the whole duration of his life from the time he was 17 years old. God's hand was on him. Keep in mind that this verse is in a context that's discussing Daniel's age when he's 20 they've been in training for three years. He was 17 when they were taken to Babylon. Three years later, he's taken before Nebuchadnezzar to be judged at this examination. And now it ends with the fact that he's alive when Cyrus reigns. And so what is being said to us is Daniel had a powerful, impacting ministry for several years to come because God blessed him from his 20s to his 80s. God's hand was on this man. He blessed him. Kings came and went. Nations rose and fell. But Daniel remained as a faithful, usable man of God. And that's exactly the way it can happen for you. You purpose to put God first in your world, you'll discover bosses change. Companies will be sold. New companies will buy and sell old companies, but you stay faithful to God and watch how God cares for you. He always blesses those who are faithful to him. Now, the first year of Cyrus' reign was an important year, as we'll see later in the book of Daniel, because that was the year that Cyrus made his famous edict to permit Israel to leave Babylon, to leave the Persian world, and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. What this tells us is that Daniel survived all the captivities. The Babylonian captivity, the Mede captivity, and the Persian captivity. He was a great leader. He was a powerful man of God. And he was part of the equation that caused this to happen. Daniel was a man who stayed faithful. He was a powerful man of God. And he was powerful when he was old. What you see about Daniel when he gets old is he's still ministering. He's still serving. He's still praying. He's still caring. You see, when you get later in the book of Daniel, he's still studying. He's still working in the Lord's work. He's not an old man who sits at home because he doesn't feel like going to church. He's in the action. He wants to be in the action. That's the Daniel that God blessed. And why is all of this brought up here? Because Daniel is a big part of the reason why all these things happened to Israel. God used this faithful, obedient man to set the stage for bringing Israel out of Babylonian captivity. This is the guy who said, I will be faithful to God no matter what. It's his purity that put Israel back on a course of God's blessings. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I believe in every age, God is looking for people he can use. He wants to use you regardless of your age, your occupation, or your gender. You can be greatly used by God where you're at right now, and you can be used by God to turn things around in your world. You may be thinking, well, how can that be? Daniel was just a servant when he was taken to Babylon, but look where he ends up. Why does he end up so high and so mightily used of God? Because of his faithfulness. So, in your world, in your occupation, in your relationships in your educational institutions. Be a Daniel. Purpose to obey God's word. Purpose to stand for what's right and true. Don't back down. Don't buckle to pressure. Stand your ground. Make sure you're not standing for something weird. Stand for what's biblically solid and God will bless you and mightily use you. May we pray. Now in order for one to be in a right relationship with God, one must, Be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ because nobody can come to the Father except through Him. So, if you want to become everything that you want your life to become at the greatest level of your existence, it starts with faith in Jesus Christ. In this personal moment, you can resolve this issue by praying something like this God, I'm a sinner. I admit that. I thank you that Jesus Christ is my Savior and right now all my faith is placed in him to save me. For those who know the Lord, we need to get a good shot in the arm of Daniel-type philosophy that says we stand for truth, we stand for the word. And may God help each of us to become ten times better than we are today. Father, thank you so much for the precious word. We thank you for the faithfulness of one like Daniel and his three friends. We're grateful, Lord, that you've revealed to us that you bless those who bless you and that you curse those who curse you. We see that very clearly here. I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon our flock, upon me, upon this church, that we will prove to be that which is pleasing to you, that type of group for whom you can pour out your blessings. And for that, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.